the Humanity First podcast, which is Bamsey's look with CEO Peter Evers, about what's going on inside the organization and some of the important issues that are addressed on a day-in, day-out basis here at Bamsey and how they affect the community, the state, and the country as a whole. Peter, let's uh, talk a little about who our guest is today. Thank you very much, Chris, and uh, thanks for the introduction and welcome, everybody. Um, Bamsey uh, is in a period of uh, a flux right now where we have uh, a CEO who is just retiring, uh, and I have only been on board for a few months, but I'll tell you one thing about Bamsey. Uh, many of the employees here have been f- here for many, many years and have amazing experience in the community um, and it makes for a great continuity of service type and uh, I'm sure we're going to get a chance to speak a, a lot about some of those uh, services as we go forward. So I'd like to introduce Aisha Bonney. Hi Aisha, how Hi, are you? Peter. Who is our Senior Vice President of Child, Family and Community Services um, and speaking of somebody with some longevity with Bamsey, um, we're, uh, we're glad to have you as our first guest here, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about behavioral health. Uh, Bamsey provides a lot of different human services uh, across the lifespan, uh, and child and family uh, is a very significant part uh, of that service delivery system, uh, and Aisha oversees many of those services. So I, I guess I'll start by saying these are unusual st- – actually – I'm pretty fed up with people saying these are unprecedented times. I think we should come up with something else for that. These are amazingly... How, yeah, how long do you get to say it's unprecedented <laughs> yeah. before That's it right. becomes precedented? Yeah. I think in the first 60 days it made sense, um, but now you're right. I, I'm done with the that. Time. These are the times. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And they say, we are. what is the Chinese proverb that we're blessed with being in interesting times? And you could uh, really emphasize that to, uh, today. But let's just rewind a little bit, shall we, back to March if you can remember that, when the, when the world was pre-COVID. Uh, and we went into uh, this pandemic incredibly quickly. We had to change entirely the way in which we provided services. Yet the needs of the people in our community were escalating at the time because of isolation, because of the fact that people were in lockdown and because there was a shortage of toilet roll. Uh, that's how it started, right, Chris? Um, but there were many other challenges to come for many of our staff uh, and many of the people that we serve as well. Um, so maybe we could start a little bit by focusing on, you know, uh, in the behavioral health world. Have we seen an uptick in the in the demand for services? Are some of those services maybe uh, hidden from us because of the lockdown? And what efforts have we been making to sort of uh, to get to those folks in need uh, who are out there at the moment? Thank you, Peter, and thank you, Chris, uh, for having me today. Um, I think the short answer on that question is yes. Um, Definitely, we have seen a demand um, for more services. Um, And of course, because of the stay-at-home orders and the lockdowns, um, access to services have been somewhat of a challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, If we look at our Behavior, Health, and Community Services Division, almost all of our programs have seen marked increase in the number of referrals that um, we've received. Uh, our Parent Information Network, for for example, who does um, information and referral for parents who have kids uh, with serious emotional um, challenges, they've also seen an increase in parents reaching out 
um, as you said, we kind of um, flipped a switch and um, had to switch the way we were doing things. Um, but that is true for so many other um, industries or institutions, such as education. Um, kids literally went, kids and parents, literally went from in the classroom one day to virtual and online the following week. Um, and that's had a huge um, source of stress and anxiety for parents as well as kids. Um, and we've heard that through mm -hmm. our Parent Information Network. Um, our outpatient um, clinic has also seen an increase in referrals. Um, I mean, productivity-wise, we're seeing unprecedented numbers at our outpatient clinic. Uh, what's nice is the state was able to move uh, with the emergency and allow outpatient services to bill um, telehealth. And so our Whitman Counseling Center has been able to use a variety of modalities to ensure that they're able to reach uh, person served, stay connected, and not have um, services be interrupted. You know, can, let me ask mm -hmm. you about that because mm -hmm. uh, sometimes we we face what they call forced adoption, don't we? That mm -hmm. we that we talk about using technology, um, and there's always a reason maybe not to do it. Maybe mm -hmm. there's some clinicians that think, well, it's never going to be as good as face to face in mm -hmm. person. And yet, this thing, this great social experiment, in a way, yeah. has happened, and we've gone overnight. We've. I remember the IT department um, mm -hmm. uh, passing out computers. You know, like they were playing cards to people. <laughs> Where they got them, I have no idea. I don't really want to know. But um, but here we were converting to clinicians at home, by the way, to your point, and I know that, that you fall into this category as well, looking after children and at work at the same time and helping them remotely learn. Mm -hmm. um, it did in improve our productivity. What do you think about this? Do you think it's something that we'll stick with now? Do you think it's just another quiver in the, um, it, you know, in the, an arrow in the quiver? Or, mm -hmm. or, or where are we going to go with this? And along those lines as well, how about also improving access to care, mm -hmm. uh, where individuals who you know, were um, perhaps not able to get to appointments in mm -hmm. the past or were just uncomfortable? Do mm -hmm. you, does it create an environment where those people um, can get touched by care when perhaps they couldn't before? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think it, it has been interesting um, to see how we've been able to switch our services um, at Whitman Counseling. And um, like with everything, um, there are pluses and minuses. Um, I think the pluses um, has me hoping that this is something that we can continue in the future. I think telehealth and telemedicine provides a great option for many, but not for all. So I think we, we recognize that as providers of uh, behavioral health services. Um, but in the middle of a pandemic and a state of emergency, it was a great option to have. And I think what we've learned is, yes, there are pluses and minuses, but I think the pluses um, do outweigh the minuses. It, telehealth and telemedicine is not going to work uh, for every provider. Mm -hmm. It's also not going to work for every person served. I think one of the first things we learn is in social work school is um, starting where the, the client is 
And you have to check in with the person that you're serving to find out which modality is going to be the best for them. So um, my opinion would be moving into the future, looking at how do we keep this as one of the options in our ability to provide services, because there are many benefits. And I think it does, to answer your question, uh, Chris, improve access. There are folks who um, don't have reliable transportation, who don't live on a bus line, and so getting to an appointment sometimes is a challenge. They get there, but maybe they might miss a few in between. What we've seen, even at Whitman Counseling, is our no-show and cancellation rate has dropped dramatically. So that tells us we have improved access and reach, and we are meeting the needs of, of, of individuals during this very um, difficult time. Yeah, one thing that you mentioned that's so important is meeting the person where they are. Mm-hmm. And as you referenced, there are varying results um, in using telehealth. But have you found and has there been any degree of surprise about the fact that um, there are more people comfortable in person served uh, with this than perhaps you'd expected where there are more breakthroughs or people, you know, were in their own homes and sitting in front of their computer, you know, um, relaxed and were more willing to talk about things as opposed to going into an office and sitting there and being in the other person's mm-hmm. home court, so to speak, where you have your home court yeah. advantage if you're at your house, you're more comfortable as opposed to going into the clinician's office where they're more comfortable. Mm-hmm. I think it's a mix. I think for some we're finding, yes, um, that is true. They're more comfortable. They are in their environment, um, in their element, if you will. And so it, it makes for a much more transparent or a much more um, open or therapeutic conversation. Um, but then there are some folks that we have to recognize maybe home isn't that sanctuary. Mm-hmm. And so as a result, a it may not be the best um, venue for them to have services. And so for them... We want to make sure we're still able to offer face-to-face. And throughout um, the behavioral health and community services programs, we've been able to do that for individuals and families who really need that face-to-face appointment, we are prioritizing their needs and making sure that we give that to them because we do recognize not everyone um, is in a sanctuary at home. Yeah, if you're a child who is in a challenging environment at home, you're subject to abuse, emotional or physical, you're not going to be all that willing to talk about what's taking place if your parents are over your shoulder. Correct. Um, same things with you know spousal situations. Absolutely. So you, that's a really strong point. Is that you, you when a lot of people think about home, they think mm-hmm. about their mm-hmm. sanctuary, mm-hmm. a place where they're relaxed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. for a lot of individuals, that's just not the case. The case, right? And we also have to recognize that socioeconomically, people are at different levels, and maybe not everyone has a private room in their house mm-hmm. to have that conversation. Um, so there, there are many variables and moving parts, which is why it's important for us to individualize um, and take this one person served at a time. Yeah, and I think that's absolutely right. I mean, our very existence is based on creating choices for people uh, and finding the best way to convey our services to that. It's all about strength-based work that we do. And so having them uh, have the opportunity to do that, I think, is is an important uh, additional item. And I guess I would say a big thank you to the state as well. Um, They really did 
react quickly to this in Massachusetts, and they they said, really, by by any means necessary in terms of providing those services to people, uh, which I think is really important. And, and oftentimes the state doesn't, you know, get a great deal of credit, but they have mm-hmm. been incredibly helpful in allowing us to get our services yeah. to people. I would also say that I hope they will be helpful in the future, in the future. because one of the things that happens in crisis is that the red tape, tape goes away, <laughs> goes away completely, and it is w- see what we can do. Uh, without the burden of some of the administrative stuff that we have. We do need some administrative Mm -hmm. requirements, licensing Mm -hmm. and those kind of things. But I think we've learned a lot that we can sort of Mm -hmm. catapult into the future Mm -hmm. here and uh, and certainly look forward to, we we call it reintegration as opposed to reopening Mm -hmm. because we never really closed. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it's going to be interesting going Mm -hmm. forward. Mm -hmm. I I think I am optimistic um, that we will be able to continue telehealth, telemedicine in in some capacity with less uh, red tape. Um, As you say, our friends at the state, EOHHS, um, have been very um, supportive and collaborating with us. We've worked really well um, with ABH, who has stayed on top of this issue and um, checking in with providers and um, making sure that they have a true sense of what is happening on the field, on the ground. Um, and our friends at the Department of Insurance as well uh, for the state of Massachusetts yep. have, have done a great job with um, quickly yep. uh, rising um, to the call. Yeah. That is Aisha Bonney. I am Chris Ryan, along with Peter Evers. This is the Humanity First po- podcast, which uh, focuses on what's taking place here, the work at BAMSI, how it relates to the, the community, and some of the overall themes um, which can affect uh, the state and country as a whole. And I wanted to talk a little bit about how um, COVID-19 and also you know, behavioral health um, is looking in terms of different demographics. Mm-hmm. And we know about the effect that um, COVID-19 has had on minority communities and how disproportionately it's affected those uh, minority communities. And I'm curious as to what has been the case in regards to behavioral health over the last six months Mm -hmm. as well. Um, You would assume that if there's challenges uh, generally with Mm -hmm. economics, that Mm -hmm. those would be even more so in this type of environment. But what have you found uh, in regards to demographics data? Mm -hmm. Um, My best educated guess is that in terms of Uh, demographics, there are certain populations um, I believe are going to struggle more than others. Um, Your communities of color, um, um, Asian communities, Latinx communities, um, indigenous um, communities, I think they are all going to struggle a little bit more than others. Um, In general, there are disparities um, in those communities to begin with. And then you add the pandemic and the current state of affairs, um, and I think it's it's only natural um, to assume that they are going to continue to struggle or, or struggle even more. Uh, right now, job loss is a huge um, challenge in the state and across the country. I believe the the um, national unemployment rate right now is hovering somewhere in the low 16s, and the, and the state is mimicking that number. The state of Massachusetts unemployment rate is, a, is about the same. Um, so I think when you have um, that kind of uh, job loss, pervasive job loss, 
it's only inevitable that people are going to struggle more. Um, you know, food insecurity is going to become mm-hmm. a bigger issue. Uh, we've we've seen um, heard reports from our local food banks that the need is incredible. Our BAMSI helpline is fielding several calls, uh, almost hundreds of calls a day. Uh, with people who are coming in with needs, uh, many of which are food. Um, there were moratoriums on rent and um, mortgages um, in terms of foreclosures that the state had put into place. But these are all coming to an end, and people are in a real serious panic about what's next, what are they going to do. And if you recall, the additional um, unemployment assistance that people were receiving uh, ended at the end of July. So we're really starting to see the concern and the panic um, from people, particularly in the last few weeks, with losing that additional $600 a week. I think if you if you if you look at it, it makes perfect sense that mm-hmm. those vulnerable populations are mm-hmm. going to be hit harder. You know, even when you think about um, salaried versus wage staff, um, uh, look at Bamsey. You yes. know, we have eighty, we have ninety residential programs. You can't do telehealth in residential. Mm-hmm. Correct. You, you know, these staff are incredible, mm-hmm. uh, incredibly brave human beings mm-hmm. who. Right through this pandemic, we're turning up to work every day. They were living in, uh, mm-hmm. in some mm-hmm. instances. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, many of those folks are not paid what, they're abs- what, they're, what they deserve. And, and we have to, that, for me, one of the things that we take away from this is the advocacy piece. Correct. That those people, those essential workers, those heroes who are doing that work, well, let's really press the point here that mm-hmm. they should be paid. Um, a fair wage, mm-hmm. not just a living wage, but a, a fair, fair wage, wage going forward. And when we translate that into our um, our communities um, who have been struggling with poverty uh, for many years before that, there really isn't much to to rest back on when you're mm-hmm. faced with mm-hmm. that. You know, you, 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 you have to be at work. So if you work in a grocery store, you have to be at work. You're putting mm-hmm. yourself at additional risk. Mm-hmm. And we know that many of those communities of color are at a higher medical risk because of the uh, illness burden that is being carried due to many other uh, is- uh, issues, prevailing issues. Mm-hmm. Um, it isn't a surprise to me that those communities have been uh, adversely affecting, affected. And of course, at BAMSI, that's where we do much of our community service work, right? Correct. Yes. We do, a, we do a lot of our community service work with the most vulnerable uh, population. I mean, I look at the food drive that we've been able to keep going. It is incredibly um, successful, but it is a staple of this community. And it would be hard for us to not have had that continue during this pandemic. Um, again, the helpline is um, available. It's seeing the need. It's giving out um, gift cards to help people meet the need. It is referring to other providers who can also help people to meet the need. But but the panic and the stress and the anxiety uh, that people are feeling um, is definitely coming through as we are out there providing services. So there's the effects of now. And we're talking a lot about that. But in my view, there's also going to be significant long-term effects uh, related to this um, Mm -hmm. current situation. When you think about the many different ways that it affects uh, individuals from uh, fear in regards to health, fear in regards to employment, uh, economic security, and the reality for many that's there, 
there's a food scarcity uh, mm-hmm. issue for, mm-hmm. for them. So how do you think that this generation from an adolescent standpoint is going to be affected um, and what is going to be the, the changes that, uh, that they're going to, that they are experiencing and how is that going to relate to the long term? And also for seniors, um, seniors really need that social mm-hmm. connection and they need to, to you know, have somebody come in or go out. And right now, seniors are in that high risk category and they're not leaving their homes if they're mm-hmm. 70 or 75 or older than that because of the fear in regards to COVID-19. But meanwhile, I worry about their mental acuity mm-hmm. and will they start to um, have issues um, with memory and with um, other onsets of of mm-hmm. mental issues based upon um, the lack of connectivity. So two mm-hmm. important groups there. Mm-hmm. Um, one that's really not talked about all that much in regards to seniors. One, there's obviously a lot of focus mm-hmm. on the adolescents, but what are your mm-hmm. takeaways there? I think there are going to be um, some um, lasting effects for both adolescents and seniors. I think if if we look at um, one group at a time, um, I mean, many seniors lost um, their ability to socialize, which was probably already limited Mm -hmm. to begin with. Um, but a huge for a um, lot of seniors. Not to interrupt, that's what I do. But just you know, just <laughs> going to the just going to the grocery store on a Absolutely. regular basis, or going out to the pharmacy. But now you have somebody go out to the grocery store for you because Absolutely. you don't want to. And just saying hi to the clerk and having that kind of that that back and forth is so yeah. important for seniors that it may be minimalized, right. but it's not there. I was reading a story today about grandparents not seeing their grandkids yes. and how hard that is. On them grand, because they want to see them grow yeah. up and they keep growing up. They see right. the pictures online and the kid's getting so big and they haven't right. seen them. Yeah. Right, right. But when you think about it, um, seniors, for example, some stores gave seniors an exact time right. which they could shop. Like 6 to 7 a.m. Correct. Yeah. What if you were a senior that didn't drive and couldn't mm-hmm. get a ride between 6 mm-hmm. and 7 a.m.? So that alone could have created additional... Um, challenges with access to food for seniors. Another big part of a senior's life um, maybe was um, adult day center. Mm -hmm. Our adult day centers closed. Uh, They didn't have that opportunity to go. They weren't able to call, for example, in Brockton, we have Dial-A-Bat, and they can go to the mall. The mall was closed. They didn't have that opportunity. They couldn't call Dial-A-Bat to get them to where they were needed. So Isolation um, became a very real issue for our seniors, and um, it, it's it's a real concern in terms of how they're going to be able um, to come out of that. Uh, one of the um, providers in the community that does senior uh, services, they've switched all of their services to telehealth, to online. So even... The, um, their ability to get out and in the home was interrupted, and that was a huge reliance on seniors. And I don't know that because my mom's a senior mm-hmm. and she lives on her own. Mm-hmm. And I remember getting, you know, the call that they would no longer be coming out during the pandemic and having to make other arrangements for her. Um, you look at adolescents. Adolescents love to be out and about. They have a need to socialize with their with their friends, um, neighborhood kids. They have activities. Every adolescent just about likes to go to the mall. Um, but these are all aspects of their life that was interrupted. And like many of us, this is the first time they were going through something like this. And so when when you 
take that interruption and you add it to already existing mental health challenges or illness, it causes for um, increased uh, anxiety, increased fear of the unknown, um, and um, depression. Um, for both of these groups, I think there's the very real possibility of um, trauma later on, mm -hmm. um, just by some of what they've had to experience. Um, seniors, for example, already have to face um, challenges with loss, um, but now they're in a situation where they may be experiencing the loss of a loved one, a neighbor, a friend, and they can't attend services mm -hmm. and get that closure. The same is true for the adolescent who may have lost a grandparent or an aunt or in some cases a parent due to COVID. They cannot get that that much needed closure. Um, one of the concerns I know that that is also very real with um, um, both of these populations is increased um, use or dependency on substances. Mm -hmm. Um, I know in Brockton, I heard a report the other day that in Brockton, we've seen an increase even in our opioid overdoses. Mm -hmm. And that is a, a real, you know, result of what is happening. And I know I'm hearing that that is a trend that is happening in other towns and other states. And so um, I think as providers of behavioral health services, we need to be ready, willing, and prepared um, to meet the call. Yeah, I think, Aisha, one of the most important things to take out of that is what is any, in, if you have trauma in, in any population, mm -hmm. a percentage of those people will be bringing a pre-existing condition, condition to the table, and those are the people who are most vulnerable. I remember mm -hmm. when 9-11 happened, which everybody remembers, uh, you know, there was a proportion of that entire of the entire country who did develop post-traumatic stress disorder as a result of that because they were probably dealing with something else, some other condition. And those are the folks that we will be caring for. I think the thing that makes uh, human beings as strong as we are is resilience, resilience. and adaptability. Mm -hmm. And when those two things are interrupted, for whatever reason they might mm -hmm. be, those people become vulnerable. Mm -hmm. When you consider what their premorbid functioning was, how they were doing before, those are the people who we really have to rally around and make sure that we're providing the services that m keep them in the country and in the in their community and, and out of emergency rooms and, uh, and hospitals. And those important aspects of the human condition um, are such that this current environment is such that you really can't utilize it because there is a sense of hopelessness in that you cannot control your own outcome. Mm -hmm. If you are in a relationship with, with someone, um, if Aisha and I are friends, maybe we'll be after this, maybe we'll see, um, <laughs> <laughs> see if you still like me after this. Mm -hmm. we, we can have a give and take where mm -hmm. if you're upset with me, you can talk to me, I can talk to you, and mm -hmm. we mm -hmm. can fight through it. Mm -hmm. In this type of environment, you don't know what's coming next. You don't mm -hmm. know what's coming next for your employment. You don't know if you're going to be furloughed. You don't know if going to the store you know, without a um, a mask, if you forget it, what's going to happen there? And you also, if you're a senior, um, you don't know, you know, when uh, what your mortality is. And if you're sitting around and you're 80 years old and you're like, do I stay at home for mm -hmm. the next for mm -hmm. the next year mm -hmm. and be afraid, or do I go out and live my life? Right. And then you go out and live your life and like, oh, I shouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. Now I and now I'm nervous and I'm scared mm -hmm. for 14 days mm -hmm. until I know whether mm -hmm. I had COVID or not. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so that I think is one of the biggest drains from a mental health perspective is that we want to do the things that Peter is talking about. But in this environment, you can't be resilient because you don't know when it, the end date is. Like, right, you don't know right, when, is, right, when is COVID over. Right, I don't right, know. Right. I mean, if you're going through a hurricane, you're like, all I need to do is to make it through the next six hours with my house intact. I'll pray. I will hold on to what I love and it will go. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, okay, we did this for one week. Now we've done it for months and months. Is it going to be years? Um, what do I do? And there's just this mental drain on folks. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in conclusion, um, I want to talk about some of the positives that you think mm-hmm. um, can potentially, you know, come out of this from a Bamsey perspective, how you are ready to um, address these challenges, uh, what you're seeing in regards to um, positive coping mechanisms to try to deal with um, some of the, the challenges that uh, exist in these times. Mm-hmm. Um, I- I think the major positive um, from a BAMSI perspective is, I think, our ability to literally um, flip the switch and adjust our services when the um, stay-at-home order began. Um, You know, we were able to... um, really connect with with people and make sure they had access to the services. Our frontline staff, I think they were phenomenal in, um, you know, staying overnight in our residential programs. Our day program staff stayed connected to their uh, person served and individuals. They offered virtual group programming so that their person served could stay connected. Um, our um, community services programs made sure that they could connect and offer video services, video telehealth services, and telephonic uh, telehealth services. So I think it, it really is, um, you know, great to highlight some of that. A few months ago, nobody knew what Zoom was. Mm-hmm. Um, and now it rolls off of everyone's <laughs> tongue um, as if it's it's second nature. But I think that's because... Um, to some extent, we are still resilient, and um, we are hopeful, and I think we are trying to make the best out of a very difficult situation. So um, people are getting creative. Uh, providers are getting creative. Um, so we have Zoom. We have GoToMeeting. We have platforms that, you know, is able to keep that connection um, I would also encourage people to uh, get out, go for a walk. Um, this is information that we give to our person served as well. Get some fresh air. Uh, try to do some exercise. If you can't go for a walk outside, take a walk around the house. Um, but just something to keep yourself moving and to keep um, your mental sharpness, particularly being at home and um, on stay at home. It's impressive how we've been able to meet the needs of, of staff and person served. And I think our ability to, to connect over technology has been the innovative way that um, we've been able to, to succeed in that. Yeah, and I suppose I would end by saying the the silver lining, I think, is the pulling back of the curtain on the heroic work, not just of people in human services, but those people who have kept this country running over the past six months. Mm-hmm. And I think what we have to take forward with us Very is essential. the recognition 
of those folks isn't just saying thank you, essential workers. It's actually paying them um, a wage that is livable, so that they're not having to do two and three jobs uh, just to just to you know, pay the rent and, and and feed their families. Agreed. Uh, and and that. Really, we have to take that and we have to take that to the legislature mm-hmm. and we have to say these are the people that have carried us through. These right. are the people who We couldn't who have done there. it without them. That's right. And, uh, and we cannot lose that message. Well, thank you both. Uh, that was great and informative and uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again soon. Thank, thank you. you. You've been listening to the Humanity First podcast presented by BAMZ.